Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. It has been dubbed the most difficult race on earth. It's called the Eco Challenge. Have you ever heard of it? It goes over 300 miles over a span of 10 days. And these are not just any athletes. You know you're a special athlete if you've gleaned the title adventure athlete. Ooh. These adventure athletes work as teams to traverse mountains, streams, rivers, and forests, and everything in between in order to beat every other team. They run round the clock. Imagine what that would be like. So I don't know if you've had any aspirations of becoming an adventure athlete. There's no time like the present. Who wants to join me? 300 miles, 10 days, let's not do that. No, if you want to, more power to you. I kind of have adopted this new phrase lately that anything over three miles is pointless except for the turkey trot on Thanksgiving morning. There's something about running that long and not sleeping that might even lead us to say that people who do that, they have either a screw loose or maybe a screw extra tightened because I don't know how anyone could do that. More power to anyone if you could. I just would rather watch for a little bit and say, good luck guys and I'll catch you maybe at the last five minutes of the race when it comes down to the wire. I, I can't even pay attention to something that long, much less try and engage in a race that challenging. But whether or not, and not, we're not going to endure an eco-challenge race, whether or not you've ever done something like that, whether or not you've run a marathon, a 5K, a half marathon, an Ironman, whatever it is, those things that are determined to be really long, hard races, you, you and I don't have to strap on the running shoes and enter the starting point and hear the gun go off and to start running in order to know what it's like to experience very challenging races. In fact, races that are much harder than just some eco-challenge over the span of 300 miles in 10 days. And I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's a challenge at work where day after day, week after week, all you experience is the barrage of expectations and people who drag you down and beat you down and there never seems to be an end in sight. You get to hump day and it's like you're still going up a mountain as you look into Thursday. And by the time you get to Friday and maybe you even have to work on Saturday, you're completely exhausted, hardly maybe even making it to your bed as you start to fall asleep on the couch. Maybe it's not just the physical toll of a job, but maybe it's also the emotional toll of relationships. Maybe there's fractures that you see existing in your marriage, or there's troubles between parents and children, or children as you view your parents, and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. It's like false summits. You're, you're racing uphill, and you think you're about to get to that next point, and right when you do, then you see just in the distance is the next summit that seems almost impossible to climb in your relationships with family friends, the people around you. Maybe it's not those things. Maybe it's not just a, a relational thing or a physical thing. Maybe it's a, a psychological or emotional thing inside your, your spirit, inside your heart. You, you wish you could just experience one day where you're not captivated by fear and wrapped up in worry, where you didn't feel like anxiety defined you and depression loomed large like a dark cloud over you. Those things make life a challenging race in and of themselves. So my question for you is, are, are you just supposed to get a message from God today in his word, 
where he tells you to buck up, lace those shoes up a little extra tight, and uh, go get them. Or, or like the eco challenge, you should just run around the clock and run harder. Because you know the harder you run, the sooner you get done with the race. Is that how life works? No. Because we know that there's even worse things that are against us than just the emotional, physical, and spiritual toll that we experience running the rat race of life in this world. We know that we wrestle with our sin. Spiritually, we are weak the more we learn about ourselves and the more we learn about God. As Paul writes in Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in, heavenly, in, in the heavenly realms. And who of us feels so equipped and strong and filled with zeal and endurance to be able to take on those type of opponents in this race called life? Me neither. But could it be that God doesn't just aim to, t- to, to give us a little motivational speak, speech today and tell us to buck up and just get after it better, run harder, and overcome that side ache, literal or proverbially speaking, No. It is that he gives you the purpose for the race to begin with, and he even points you to the finish line that has already been given to you in your Savior Jesus. And he gives you meaning with every step of the way. So whether you feel like you are sprinting and crushing it, or like maybe most days, you feel like you're sluggishly falling behind, your Savior's with you, and he gives you purpose and meaning to every step of the way. Could it be that the God who tells you to run just so happens to be the one who is right there with you, before you, and beside you? I invite you to have that second reading open. Hebrews chapter 12, I just shared that with you before. These Hebrew Christians did not need to be told what it was like to run against opposition. In fact, two chapters previously, the writer to the Hebrews, we don't know who he was, but we do know that he knew what they were experiencing. Persecution, pain, and suffering. People in the marketplace would avoid them just because they're Christians, and how are you going to put bread on the table for your family when that's happening? Might they be tempted to just be a little bit quieter about their faith? They had seen people killed and and put in prison already, persecuted simply because they stood up and would be counted for Christ. They already knew what this was like. In chapter 10, the writer to the Hebrews speaks in the present tense about the sufferings that they are already experiencing and the heat would only be turned up. It's like they're running in the noonday sun, in the hot August heat in the south. That's what it was like for them living their Christian life. So just telling them to run, is that the solution? No. God has so much more to say. First of all, when God is talking to them, is he at this point just going to simply tell them, like a helicopter dad of sorts, it's okay, I'm just going to make this easier for you. I'm going to knock down the mountains and make them flat and easier. I'm going to turn the heat of the sun a little bit down. I'm going to inject a little bit of spiritual steroids into your legs and into your lungs so your lungs don't burn as bad and your legs can go a little bit longer. Is that what God does? Is he a helicopter dad? Hold on, let me, let me just take care of you and make it easy for you. No. And, and we know what that's like, does being a helicopter parent of sorts and protecting your kid from all of the bumps and the bruises and the scrapes of life, does that actually help them in the end? No. Sometimes we need to let them, especially if they're being quite stubborn, experience the consequences of their stubbornness. And they get to learn that way. But they also get to grow stronger through those kinds of ways. So it is with God. But he doesn't just lift up his hands and say, fine, have it your way, like this is Burger King or something. No, our Heavenly Father knows specifically the ways that we need to struggle. So you look at the second paragraph and what is the first thing that he lists? He's talking about specifically not just running and we're getting persecuted on the outside, although much more about that in a second. He's talking about struggling against sin. And I don't know what that is for you, but I do know you do it. 
I do know that you're just like me, just like every other person where you have a sinful flesh, you have eyeballs and a conscience, although your conscience is not perfect, you do know what it's like to struggle against sin. And so whatever that is for you, it, it is a struggle, just as it is for everybody. It just depends on what kind of track you're on. For you, might, maybe it's just the thoughts that you have, the thoughts of anger and hatred that creep in so easily. It's not just maybe one of those people who moved from a specific state that will remain nameless, who might be slow on Hendersonville Road that drive us nuts. It's, it's not just that. We can joke about that, but maybe that's just the tip of the iceberg. Maybe it's uh, the anger and aggression that so easily creeps into our hearts and minds as we try to keep our poker face, but inside there is a fire brooding with hatred towards people at work, people at home, people at church, people in our neighborhood. Sure, struggling against sin is making sure that tomorrow we don't become a murderer, yes. But you also recall that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, whoever hates his brother or sister is a murderer. God cares so much about not just the race that everyone sees, but the race that's going inside that only he and we see. Maybe it's thoughts of impurity, sexually speaking. Whether it's towards people of the same gender or people of the opposite gender, God's design is absolutely clear about what marriage and relationships is and what they are not. And we all know that. And God doesn't just care if we're pretending to shack up or maybe even acting out on shacking up with somebody who's not our spouse. He cares about the race that we're running, not only on the outside, but what's going on on the inside. Whoever lusts against somebody has already committed adultery in their hearts, Jesus said. I don't know what that is for you, whether it's hatred, whether it's lust, whether it's greed, whether it's rage. Maybe even it's just Something as simple as looking at the world around you and knowing that God has called you to this higher calling, but you know what? It's a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot flatter ground if we're just a little bit more quiet about it. I mean, if I ask you if you want to go run a race or even just go hike a trail and you say, where are we going to go hiking? It's a big difference if I say, we're going to go hike Bent Creek or we're going to go hike Mount Pisgah. Those are different worlds. One of them is very flat, and one of them goes like this. And that largely would determine whether or not you might want to go with me or not. You might also ask, well, how long are we going? Like, just a mile. I think most of you, if not all, you'd be like, oh, sure. But if I said, yeah, just a quick 10 miles. No, thanks, Pastor. Oh, I forgot about that meeting I had, Pastor. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to make that one. So, too, when God calls us to struggle against sin, he goes on to say, we're not even at the point of shedding blood yet because we're still alive, he says to the Hebrews and also to us. But don't forget that this suffering already is imbued with the fact that we are to be standers, standards of what it means to stand up for Christ. Yes, we are like pillars who are not going to be moved by the changing currents of these times and cultural norms in society. But then isn't it so much easier if we're just quiet about it? I mean, what persecution are you going to face at work if no one really knows what to persecute you over? What kind of flack are you going to get in your neighborhood if you never really say anything about your faith? What kind of gossip is your family going to gossip about when they're specifically gossiping about you behind your back if you never really share your faith and they have nothing to gossip about? So when it comes to discipline, it is implied 
It is implicit. In fact, it is necessary that the writer to the Hebrews, especially in the context of our other two readings, Luke 12 and Jeremiah 23, that we would be people who are already taking a stand for Christ and being counted with him, no matter what comes in this life. That we're even welcoming discipline. But that would mean that we're actually standing for Christ to begin with. Does that sound like an easy race that we should be running? Make no mistake, to stand up for Christ does not just mean that we play the freedom of speech card any single time somebody decides they want to ridicule our faith. That's not what it means biblically. Taking a stand for Christ does not just mean that when someone in this convenient cultural country that we have right now ridicules us according to our faith, we don't play the freedom of religion card. That's not what it literally means to stand up for Christ. Do you know what it means? Don't ask my opinion. Look at Jesus. On the pathway to the cross, he's the only, only criminal who was completely 100% innocent and judged completely unjustly. Completely. And while people cursed his name, and while people spit on him and hit him, was it that at that time that he was going to say, did you forget about the miracles? Yeah, you guys are now hitting me. Yeah, you were clamoring for more bread just earlier. Did you forget about that one? Two years ago, you were begging me for some more fish and loaves. Remember that one? Oh, and you brought your sick cousin, and I healed him, and now look at you. Look at you. No, 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 no. That's not our Savior. Quietly, humbly took it and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing on his pathway to the cross to pay for the sins, including the sins of those people right next to him, hitting him and hurting him. The Christian life of discipline in the face of persecution does not mean that we take our convenient stand on these laws and and blessings that we have in this country at the time so we can avoid it. No, 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 no. In fact, it actually means that we can expect people to dislike us when we are taking a stand for the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, by logical extension, it means that there are all of the other truths, all of the other pathways to know eternal life that are not going to like what Jesus has to say. When he says, I am the truth, he literally means that everything else that goes against him is a lie. How does, how does our culture like that when we, in this realm of mediocrity, basically expect that every single person would be tolerant, tolerant of just about every type of truth, and especially tolerant of the type of truths I want you to be tolerant towards. Is that not our culture today? But then when you take a stand for Christ, especially not even with your words, but with the megaphone of your actions, is it easy to sit there and to smile with faith in your Savior's plan for you, even as you experience discipline here and now? I don't know what that looks like for you in your life, but I do know this about you because it's the same for me just as it is for every single one of us. That ain't easy. That is not easy. But you know what you and I have? For, for every single time that we have wavered and waned, every single time it feels like we were running uphill and we just had to stop, put our hands on our knees, trying to get some breath because our lungs are burning too much as we strive spiritually in this world. For every single time, we could never do it. Every single time, we've let somebody else pass us by. We've given in to the, to the times of this world, taken the road that is convenience instead of following the pathway of our Savior, even if it's challenging. Every single time, do you know what you and I have? 
we have somebody who is grabbing our attention once again, and he's not pointing us on the pathway of self-improvement. Instead, he's laying out the pathway that was already won for you by our Savior Jesus. Look at what he did. He is the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. You know what that means? Your faith is only as good as what you have faith in. So for me to tell you today, or for you to think for yourself today, just go do better. Ready, set, go. You automatically put your faith in whom? Yourself. How is that going to go? No, 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 no. Look at the one who is the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Qualitatively, our entire faith is only as good as what we have faith in and Since our faith is in Jesus, look at what he perfected for you. Who for the joy set before him, the joy, the heavenly joy that was before him, he endured everything, including the the cross, scorning its shame, and look at where that got him. Look at where that got him as Jesus ran that race. Even when he said, if it is possible that this cup be taken from me, yet not my will, yet yours be done. And what happened? He drank the cup all the way until it was dry. That cup of suffering and hell on the cross that he endured to erase our guilt to pay for every time we didn't run perfectly. And yes, even to prove by his resurrection that the reward is already ours. Look at where he's seated. He sat down at the right hand of God and he promised you that he went there to prepare a place for you. That's the finish line. That's already yours. There's already a medal and once things are engraved, you can't go and unengrave them. I just made up that word. But you can't do that. But that medal's already yours with your name on it, with a house that's prepared. And it's not just this fluffy thought of sitting on a cloud with warm brother Jesus. No, this is the finish line where you see that everything that you endured in this life had a purpose. It had the ultimate goal of bringing you to your Savior, where there's only perfect peace and joys unparalleled, where you experience the, not just the glimpses of love that we know here and now, but the full realization of it as you not only see your Savior, but you bask in his glorious presence. That's the goal. Doesn't that give you a race? Every step of the way purpose then? You think of a father disciplining a child. What, what ch- child, and maybe you've had children that are perfect, so far out of the four children I have, I'm 0 for 4 in this regard. We're disciplining one of my children. They said, Oh, thanks, Dad. I'm so glad that you disciplined me for this because now I'm going to grow stronger in in my obedience and in the way I should behave in life. Never seen it. Maybe you have with your children. I've never seen that. But you know we have this thing called hindsight, don't we? Because I don't know if you acted that way towards your parents. But when you look back, what what is this saying? The older we get, the more we appreciate our parents. We get a little wiser. We can start to see more of the things that they can see understand the things that they understood better than we did? Would you wish that you could look back and think to yourself, yeah, 90% of all the ways that they disciplined me, I think I'd like to trade that back. So it is with your Father in heaven. I mean, look at where he's brought you. You and I have this blessing. You've had some incredible hardships in your life, I'm sure. Maybe a couple I know, the vast majority of them I probably don't. But looking back, look at how your father, although he was allowing you to feel the heat of this world and experience some of the disappointment that this world will only give you, and it only gives disappointment, by the way. Your father who was allowing you to see that no one in this world and nothing in this world will give to you what he gives, so he allowed you to experience discipline so you'd see the world for what it is and so you grow closer to your father. And look at what you learned. Look at how that gave you endurance. 
Look at how it strengthened you. Look at how he is strengthening you still. You have two options. With that hindsight, you can go back and you can say, you know what, I will give it all back to God. Both the pain and the hardship, along with all of those wonderful lessons learned, I will go back and give all of that back. Or, you have the other option. To stand where you stand now by faith and to look back and see that your Father was shaping you and strengthening you, honing you and preparing you for eternity and even for future challenges now. Which one are you going to take? With hindsight that you now have in life. I know you're with me. We're going to take the second option. Not only because that's the only one we have, but in all seriousness, look at what that gives you. Look at how God is shaping you. Look at how previous challenges in your life prepared you for challenges you're experiencing right now. Look at how God has has given you greater patience because you weren't born with perfect patience. None of us were. Look at how God has given you greater endurance to deal with some people that were bigger challenges than what you faced earlier in life. Does God not have a purpose and a plan in all of it? And even in all of this, he's never, as your heavenly father, never leaving you alone. In all of this, he's telling you that he loves you. There was a guy by the name of Derek Redmond. He was a 400-meter sprinter in the 1992 Olympic qualifiers. And he came right around the backstretch, and maybe you've seen this video. 92 seems like a long time ago, and I guess it is, but there was video of this. He's along the backstretch, and he's a record holder, and then suddenly his hamstring snapped. It's excruciating pain. If you've ever experienced that, it's awful. I have. It's terrible. He decides he's going to finish this race. No, 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 no. Not because he thinks he can win. You're not going to win an Olympic qualifier on one hamstring. But he rounds the bend, and he's going to keep on going. And then suddenly, there's this man that was in the crowd and he pushes his way through. Security tries to stop him, but he's not having it. Pushes his way through. After all, who is going to stop a father from reaching his son? And Derek Redmond's dad grabs Derek's arm and drapes it over his shoulder and he understands what his son is going to do. He's just going to finish the race. One hamstring, no hamstrings. He's going to finish the race. And his father's there to make sure that's going to happen. Is it any different for you, dear Christian? No matter how hard the race, no matter how challenging you're struggling against sin might be, no matter if it feels like every day is uphill in the noonday sun, or sometimes you get blessed with some flat ground and you can move along, where is your father? Sitting in the stands? No. He points to the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before you whose lives are testimonies to his truth. And he does more than just grab your arm and drape it over his shoulder. He carries you along the way, following the footsteps of your Savior. Those last footsteps, by the way, are bloody. And of all those footsteps that you follow, you know already what waits for you in the finish line. It's heaven. It's glory. It's realizing that holiness that he is preparing you for right here and now and in every step of the way on the path that leads to your heavenly home. So dear Christian, run. Run with perseverance, knowing that God is always with you. Amen. Amen.